Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your people. I thank you for your redeeming grace, God. How you can take a wretch and turn him around and you can be your vessel to glorify you, O oh God. You can make us new. Father, I thank you for your great love. Father, I know I'm in desperate need of you today, God. We are in desperate need of you. So, we just pray that you pour out your spirit here. Jesus, you said the Holy Spirit comes to teach us. So Holy Spirit, I ask that you do that. You open up our eyes. You open up our ears. May you reveal Jesus and the Father to us. May you fill us with awe and praise for our God. Thank you for saving us, oh God. Thank you for saving us. For having mercy on us. Come and be with us, we pray. In Jesus' name. So today I'm going to talk about two attributes of God. Two attributes that are vital to the Christian faith. And that is mercy and grace. You know, no other religion describes their God like the Christian God when it comes to mercy and grace. And like I was saying, we could come here and I could teach about mercy and grace and we can get it just intellectually. And that would be one thing. And the Bible does call us to do that. It tells us to study the word, right? But Christianity is also supposed to be experimental, and what I mean about that is, it's great to know about the grace and mercy of God, but it's another thing to experience the mercy and grace of God in your life. And that's what God wants to do. He wants you to experience his mercy and grace. And so in First John, it talks about how God is light. And in him there is no darkness. And in other scriptures it talks about how he is righteous, okay? And so what John is trying to do, he's trying to paint this picture of a God who is perfect. Perfectly righteous. And that's important because when we jump over to Genesis, we see God creating Adam. And how does he create Adam? He creates him sinless. He creates him perfect. And we know the story. God says, Adam, you can have all of this in this garden right here to eat. But he says, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because in the day that you do that, you shall surely die. And this is where the serpent enters into the story and 
He's talking to Eve, and he gets her to start to doubt God. So Eve eats of the fruit and gives some to Adam, right? Question, did God tell Adam not to eat of the tree? What did Adam do? He ate of the tree. Adam, in this moment, deliberately disobeyed God. And this is a vital moment in history. You know, you have historians, they'll say, there are times in history that are of extreme importance. Some historians will say, oh, World War I, World War II, these were monumental times in our, in our nation's history, right? I'll tell you, Adam's disobedience is probably one of the top monumental times in history, and I'll tell you why. We're going to flip, I'm going to read out of Romans chapter 5. And it says this, verse 12. Therefore, just as though, just as through one man, sin entered into the world and death through sin. And thus death spread to all men because all sinned. So for the first time, Paul is telling people, this one act of disobedience, for the first time, sin entered into the world. And then it spread to all of the descendants of Adam. We, the Bible says, there is none that is righteous in Romans 3. All have sinned. I see those two words. <laughs> there is, there's no gray area here. All have sinned. None are righteous. And that's important in the gospel story. Why? Let me paint a picture to you. Say we decided to do this. Say we all came together. We're, we, we're going on a little vacation together and we saw a vacant land by the ocean, right? We said, wow, that is beautiful property. It would be great to build a city right there. So we come together and we start thinking, okay, we're going to start building houses here, here, here. We're going to start constructing some businesses and we'll put them over here and we'll put them here. We'll start building some beautiful parks. All these things that are going to attract people to this city. And then we, we get done with the, the project and we start to invite people in. And people start to come and they bring their families and they start living in our houses and they, they start, start building their businesses Question, what if in our city we had laws, but we had no consequences if you broke the law? What kind of city would that be? I think it would be a city of chaos. It would be a terrifying, tell you the truth, it could be a terrifying city to live in. And so we would know that, hey, we have to have consequences if anybody breaks these laws. And we do have that in towns nowadays. People go to jail, right? <laughs> Those are the consequences. And so if we can think of, hey, if someone disobeys the law to put them in jail, don't you think the God who created the heavens and the earth and everything that is in it, that he's going to have laws and then that he's going to have consequences if people disobey those laws? 
God's not going to let his creation go into chaos. And so we read again in Romans 5, verse 16, it says, The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned, for the judgment which came from the one offense resulted in condemnation. In James chapter 4, it talks about God being the great lawgiver and judge. And so what happens? God told Adam, Adam, if you eat of that tree, you shall surely die. And what does Paul say in Romans chapter 6? He says, the penalty of sin is death. So here's the penalty for Adam's sin. You're going to die. Paul confirmed that. The penalty of sin is death. And a lot of times we hear these words, judgment, God's judgment, God's condemnation. And those might just be words to us. But do we fully understand what that means? God's judgment, God's condemnation. It's funny because Brian referred to this earlier. It's in Revelations chapter 20. This is how God judges and this is how God condemns. It says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heavens fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead small and great, standing before God. And books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged. They were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast in to the lake of fire. So, God sets up his law. He says, if you sin against me, there will be judgment. What is the judgment? Lake of fire. But great thing, the story doesn't end right there. Because that would be horrible news, right? I mean, it's almost kind of depressing. You're like, man. And if you study anything, if you study any history on a revival in church, it's amazing because when the Spirit of God starts to move on a church, there's always testimony of this. There's always somebody that will cry out in the middle of the church and they'll say, is there mercy for me? It's, you read history on revival and you will find that. Somebody in revival always cries out, is there mercy for me? And the good news is, there is mercy for us. Hallelujah. And that's the great question that Paul brings up in Romans again. He says, how can God have mercy on sinners? In Ephesians chapter 1, it talks about how God, before the foundation of the world... What, is he, what, what, was, what was before the foundation of the There was this great plan that came into his mind, came into his heart. This will that he wanted, he saw what was going to happen. Man was going to sin against God and there was going to be the separation. And so what does God do? He comes up with this plan out of his mercy and love. And he says, I'm going to create a way that I can be reconciled back to human, hum, mankind. And so he's sitting there formulating, starts to talk into his son, Jesus, and Jesus says, I'm willing to go. 
I am willing to go pay the penalty for them. And don't we read, he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. Hallelujah. Jesus came. He says, you prepared a body for me. <laughs> In Philippians, it talks about how he was, either Philippians or Colossians, it talks about how he was obedient unto death. See, the Lord Jesus loved us so much. Doesn't it just show as he's walking through the Gospels, how he's crying out, if anybody will thirst, come unto me. If you're burdened, if you're heavy laden, Come unto me. Jesus is constantly saying, come to me. Why? Because he is the fountain of salvation. Hallelujah. He is the lamb. Didn't, this is what John said when he says, he's looking at Jesus, first stepping on the scene. He says, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus, God's mercy activated. Hallelujah. And so I sit here. And I think, oh God, where would I be without Jesus? We read Revelation. Brian mentioned it earlier. If you don't have Jesus, there's a place prepared. The lake of fire. And this is another thing the Lord's been putting on my heart. You know, as Christians, we, we may walk with the Lord for a while. And it comes, becomes so normal for us to be in right relationship with God that we almost just think that just God just loves us. So just, we're so amazing and God just loves us. And friends, this is what God was showing me was, take Jesus out of the picture and my relationship with God dramatically changes. It's only because of Jesus is that right relationship. In John three, it talks about he who does not believe in the son the wrath of God abides on him. So thank God for Jesus because he is God's mercy activated. So that's the mercy of God. Thank God for his mercy. The other thing I want to talk real briefly about is the grace of God. See, God loves us so much that he's not just going to just forgive us our sins. That's one thing. That's an, and that's a great thing. He forgives us our sins through his son, Jesus Christ. But he loves us so much that he's not going to just let us stay in this sinful way where we're constantly disobeying God. He's going to change us to be more like Jesus every day. And this type of grace is called sanctification. And how does God sanctify us? He does it in many ways, but I'm going to talk about three ways today. The first way that God sanctifies us is through the born-again experience. See, Romans talks about chapter 6. I'm just going to read this real quick. Romans 6, verse 17. He says, God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin... You became slaves of righteousness. So what, God, what Paul is saying is, 
At one time in our life, we were controlled by our sinful nature, by this flesh. We did everything that the flesh desired for us to do. We obeyed it and it's all of its lust. But when you are born again, you are given a new nature. And when you're given that new nature, God sets you free from the dominance, the control of your old nature, and gives you the grace to obey this new nature that he gives you. Hallelujah. Paul says in Corinthians, he says, you have become a new creation. The old things pass away. And behold, all things become new. So that's the first part. In Psalms, you constantly hear about when they're, they're writing these worship songs, how they delight in God's law. How they delight in his statutes and his commandments. Tell me, does, does a non-Christian delight in the laws of God? No. And so this, this is the born again experience. You're given a new nature and God gives you the grace to love what is good. It says about Jesus in Hebrews, he says, You're, the God anointed Jesus because he hated iniquity and loved righteousness. So that's one part of sanctification. Another part is what we've all experienced is God gives us a conscience and a Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit, right? How many times have you been doing something and the flesh maybe kind of stirs up and gets you to try to maybe sin and you hear the Holy Spirit say, uh-uh-uh, I wouldn't do that, right? That's God's grace over you. That's, some theologians call that constraining grace. He's constraining you from sinning. It's kind of like a parent, right? If little Emma was out here and she looked at the stove and the stove is all bright and orange and she's going, ooh, right? What would Anthony do? He would step in the middle and say, no, you don't want to do that. You'll be burned. Same thing. You Google God, your flesh tries to make sin look so beautiful and you're, oh, and God says, don't do that. That will hurt you, right? He's gracious. He's loving. He does it gently. That's the second part of God's grace. The third one though is, who would dare to raise their hands that sometimes we're a little bit stubborn? Sometimes God says, no, 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 don't do that. That'll hurt you. And we start throwing temper tantrums and we say, no, I want that. In Hebrews, it talks about how God has to chastise and scourge. And so I'm going to read that. Hebrews chapter 12 says, My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are an illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers. This is what we're talking about right here. We have had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the father of spirits and live? 
For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them. But he for our profit that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, after will, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. I don't even have to preach anymore on that. That whole scripture right there just says it. God disciplines us, and when he disciplines us, it brings about a righteousness in us. Just like a father, when the kid's throwing a temper tantrum and you discipline them just a little, maybe give them a little pat on the bottom, it's just another level of God's grace over you, stirring you to be more like Jesus every day. So, when I was going over this, I was just in awe of who God is. I said, God, what? isn't that the beautiful part of the, the gospel? It's, we were talking about earlier, it's, it's, it's nothing that we deserve. And often I sit there and I go, why God, why, why? He is so good. So good and so merciful and gracious. And it's beautiful because he gets the praise for all of it. And so I, I just encourage us maybe just for a second. Can you just like, I'm going to do it to, for myself. Maybe just you to yourself. Can, can we just take like two minutes and just silent, like quietly to ourselves, just thank God for his mercy and his grace. Father, I thank you for your mercy. I thank you, God, that you saved me. That you redeemed me. I thank you, Father, that you've given me a new life. You've given me Jesus, oh, Father. I thank you, God, not only do you have mercy, but you give me grace to change Father, I pray for your people. I pray as we leave, God, we would just have an attitude of gratitude and be thankful for your mercy and grace. We are very undeserving, Lord. Thank you that you chose us before the foundation of the world. Thank you, Father, that you adopted us as your children. You saw us filthy in the streets and you had compassion on us and you wrapped us up in your arms. And you're cleaning us. You're training us. Thank you, Father, for all your gifts. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your Holy Spirit, God, and your great fatherly love. We as your sons and your daughters, we appreciate you and we love you. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.